Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, June 30th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a lawsuit from the Pink House seeks to block a 2007 trigger law limiting abortions. And pro-abortion rights activists call for protections following the reversal of Roe v. Wade. Plus, on the last day of her tenure... The state superintendent of education reflects on eight and a half years at the helm. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A trigger law banning most abortions in Mississippi will go into effect next week. But the clinic at the center of the landmark Dobbs case is seeking other legal measures to keep its doors open, this time on the state level. Jackson Women's Health Organization has filed a lawsuit in Hines County Chancery Court in an attempt to block the 2007 trigger law. Rob McDuff is with the Mississippi Center for Justice, who is representing the clinic. He explains the state-level strategy with our Michael Guidry. The United States Constitution guarantees all the people in the United States certain rights. And each of the 50 states has its own constitution that also guarantees the people in its state certain rights. Usually the state constitutional provisions guaranteeing rights are interpreted in a similar way to the federal constitutional interpretation. But occasionally... Uh, the, the state courts in a particular state might interpret their rights more expansively than federal rights are interpreted. In 1998, the Mississippi Supreme Court held that there is a right to abortion in Mississippi that is part of the larger right to privacy guaranteed to the people of our state. Um, that was similar to what the United States Supreme Court had held about the federal constitution in Roe versus Wade. And so they were, they, they were interpreted in sync until this past Friday when the U.S. Supreme Court said that the federal constitution no longer protected the right to abortion, overruling 50 years of precedent. So on Monday, we filed a new lawsuit uh, citing the Mississippi Constitution's protection of the right to abortion as confirmed in that decision in 1998. And we have asked the Mississippi state courts to prevent the enforcement of the trigger ban 
that is expected to go into effect on July 7th and which would outlaw nearly all abortions in Mississippi. You mentioned the 1998 case. That is Planned Parenthood versus Fordyce. What is the context of that case? That was a case that um, we brought, uh, that is the Center, Center for Reproductive Rights and I brought back then, challenging Mississippi's 24-hour waiting period and its two-parent consent law. Um, we had challenged those in federal court and, and had, had lost those cases. And we thought, well, we will, we will ask the Mississippi Supreme Court to, to enjoin those laws under the Mississippi Constitution. The Mississippi Supreme Court held that, that those laws were constitutional. They would not enjoin them. But in the course of doing that, they did say there is a right to abortion under under Mississippi law as part of the larger right to privacy that had been you know, that had been confirmed by the Mississippi Supreme Court for decades. That precedent has been sitting there for 24 years. Not a lot of people knew about it because we never we never really needed to invoke it, given that the larger right to an abortion was protected uh, in the federal courts by the federal Constitution until last Friday. Courts change. Part of what we're seeing now is a, a realization of, of how much can change when a when the court changes, especially talking about the, the U.S. Supreme Court. The, the Mississippi Supreme Court has obviously changed since 1998. What confidence do you have that if this makes it to the Mississippi Supreme Court, uh, that, that, that the case law of Planned Parenthood versus Fordyce will hold muster in front of these justices? Well, there is a tradition in the Mississippi Supreme Court of upholding prior precedent, uh, although there have been occasions when, when that court has overruled precedent, and I'm sure the attorney general will be asking the court to do so in this particular instance. I do hope the um, I do hope the Mississippi Supreme Court adheres to its precedent, adheres to the principle of the right to privacy that the citizens of Mississippi have, and adhere to the understanding that this decision about whether to bear an, a pregnancy usually unintended uh, and carry it through to term and and bear a child is a decision that belongs to the individual woman and not to the to the politicians in the legislature. Uh, it just seems it's a, it's a it's a fundamental part of the right to privacy that people have some control over their lives that can't be that can't be superseded by a vote of the majority of the legislature and this particular decision in matters of pregnancy is like no other decision that exists for a person. And uh, you know, we think that it, it's just fundamental that the right to Mississippi and the right to make their own decisions about whether to carry a pregnancy, often unintended, to term and whether to birth a child. In the short term and more immediate, I mean, this has to this has to go through the Hines County Chancery Court. Four judges um, uh, have recused themselves and the state Supreme Court will appoint someone. Um, we understand. So I think the long term goal is is obviously clear here, and that is to to get that that 2007 law kind of eliminated through 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 case law precedent, but what is the what's the more short term goal here? Well, we would like to um, we would like for for the court to issue an order that would allow 
the clinic to stay open and, and, and provide full services to its patients after July 6th um, and until the courts can make a final decision in the case. And with that, uh, what is the typical timeline for something like this? Well, it's an emergency matter, and and the courts are accustomed to handling emergency matters. So we're hoping we can get a hearing um, later this week in the in the Hines County Chancery Court, and then I'm sure that we, whichever side does not prevail in that in in that court will seek an emergency appeal with the Mississippi Supreme Court. So we'll, we'll you know we're, we're hoping it can go quickly. We'll see how quickly it goes, but. But both the trial courts and the Mississippi Supreme Court are accustomed to dealing with emergency matters. Rob McDuff is an attorney with the Mississippi Center for Justice. Coming up, pro-abortion rights activists call for protections following the reversal of Roe v. Wade. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The scene at the Mississippi Capitol earlier this week was contentious as pro-abortion advocates gathered amid the sounds of counter-protesters outside the building. Emily Banks was one of hundreds who showed up to share her voice as protests emerged to object to the Supreme Court's majority opinion. The Ridgeland resident tells MPB's Kobe Vance it was important for her to show up at the Capitol. This is ground zero, and so this is where the fight starts. It's where the fight went to Washington. It's where we have to bring the fight back. And so being here on these steps with these people... I truly can't imagine protesting anywhere else when this is where it all comes back to. What are your thoughts to see so many people out here today? It really does my heart a lot of good. I feel like especially people who feel the way that we do, that, you know, your body, it's your choice. When you're in the South, a lot of the times it's really kind of like, oh, I'm alone, and it doesn't feel like anybody agrees with me, especially in a state that's so red as Mississippi. And seeing all of these people, it's a good reminder to me, but also to all of us, like, we're not alone, and we're going to be the ones that keep showing up and keep fighting when everybody else goes home. If you had a chance to call on a lawmaker, what would you ask them to do right now? Um, If I had a chance to call on a lawmaker, I just want to remind them that, like, women are where you came from. And especially in the last 50 years, your mother had a choice. And, yes, she chose to have you, but she could have not, and that's her body and that's her choice. And so I really think it. I deserve, as a woman who lives in this country and who votes in this country, to have my voice heard just as much as everybody else. And they may be real loud, but they're not the majority of this country. And statistics prove that. 
What does it feel like to be out here calling on the same thing that people were fighting for 50 years ago? It's really frustrating. Um, it's really hard to think about the fact that I had more rights when I was born than I have right now. Um, I'm fighting for the rights that my mom's parents fought for because my mom was born in the last 50 years. And so to think about the fact that I'm fighting my grandmother's fight is the most frustrating thing in the world because I have no desire to go back. We're supposed to be a country that focuses on moving forward. And this just proves that we're not doing that right now. That's Ridgeline resident Emily Banks. Also in attendance is Sebastian Murdoch of Jackson. They say losing the right to an abortion is endangering the lives of many Mississippians and have several concerns they want addressed. To have the right to an abortion is to have the right to make choices on my own body for my future and for the future of my friends and my family. Uh, It's the right to bodily autonomy. It's the right to an economic freedom that we wouldn't have otherwise. It's simply the right to be a human with control over your own self. If you had a chance to talk with a lawmaker right now, what would be your words? What do you want? We want free and accessible abortions on demand. We want the Hyde Amendment repealed. We want the filibuster removed. We want the court expanded. Uh, and we want an impeachment for the, ju- for the Supreme Court judges, who, justices who have been, who perjured themselves to get where they are now. What do you think is the future for abortion in Mississippi if nothing changes? It's bleak. People will die. More people than who die already with a massive maternal mortality rate in Mississippi alone. More people will die. What are your thoughts about the protest here today? It's a lot more people than I've seen in other protests. It's incredibly encouraging to know that there are more people here than we would have expected to see. It really helps you know you're not alone. What would be your message to other people across Mississippi who might support the right to an abortion but aren't sure if they should get involved? My first message is you are not alone. There are more of you than you think there are, and there are ways to get involved nationally and locally. You just have to reach out and find the people who are leading the charge. Coming up on the last day of her tenure, the state superintendent of education reflects on eight and a half years at the helm. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Today is the final day of Carrie Wright's tenure as State Superintendent of Education. She joined us for a lengthy conversation on her eight and a half years leading the department. In part one, we examine where the state was when Wright arrived in 2013 and how she implemented her plans for change. I knew we were 50th, and particularly literacy was the absolute um, lowest part. And I know from my experiences that if you can't read, there's not a lot you can do in life. And so uh, I knew literacy needed to be a focus. We had just passed in that um, legislative session in 2013, earlier in the year, the Literacy-Based Promotion Act had been passed, and the Early Learning Collaborative Act had been passed. So um, as we sat around thinking about that, and I was kind of getting the lay of the land, you know, I knew we needed to focus on the science of reading. I mean, there was no doubt in my mind. Um, there is a science to teaching reading. Uh, and so we um, put out a proposal for a vendor 
to provide um, professional development to all of our teachers, both general ed and special ed, as well as our administrators, uh, on how to teach the science of reading. So that's kind of where we started. And at the same time, it was the first time we'd ever, Mississippi had ever provided money for publicly funded pre-K. And so that was huge because I'd been involved in early childhood for many, many years prior to coming to Mississippi. So we had to start that program um, with the $3 million that we were given at the time, uh, and we did. But there's not many pre-K programs, right? Well, the legislature this past year um, just awarded us not only $16 million for our collaboratives, but an additional $20 million for other early childhood programming. So we've slowly but surely been growing our programming. And I think that the superintendents and the districts are realizing the power of pre-K because many of them are using their federal dollars to open pre-K programs. And we've done a lot of research, not only nationally, but here in Mississippi, that shows the power of pre-K longitudinally. So once you start pre-K, in fact, Mississippi State did a study that said even if you went to pre-K or not, no control over quality, that you were three and a half times more likely to be reading uh, on grade level by the end of grade three, and you were four and a half times more likely to be graduating on time. So we started small, and I'm so glad we did, but we are building up from there. Okay. You're credited with making Mississippi a national leader for improving student achievement. The state's quality count grade improved from an F to a C minus, climbing from 50th to 35th. 35th. So one thing is an F to a C minus. The other thing is there must be a lot of states that are struggling that Mississippi got up to 35th place. Well, interestingly enough, uh, when I first got down here, I learned the phrase that had been in Mississippi for a long time from my colleagues um, in the in the southern states, people that have the same position I do. And the phrase was, thank God for Mississippi, yeah. because um, they knew Mississippi was always last, so they weren't going to be. And so now it's really been interesting to see since we've risen to 35th, my colleagues are saying, well... We can no longer say that. And so now we have now consulted with 21 states across the nation who have called and asked us either to let us come visit or us visit them to find out what we have been doing to be so successful because they now are struggling, um, you know, to to be where we are. And uh, when the governor, I met with him a couple of weeks ago, he said, what would you do if you were still here? I said, look, there's 34 states that's still above us. I said, so we just need to keep climbing and that we can do this. We've done this. We've, we've worked hard. It's taken us eight and a half years, but 35th is, is nothing to sneeze at. And, um, but that's, that's not to say that there's not a ways more to go. More work to do. Yeah, more work to do. Yeah. Absolutely. Good work. Also, graduation rates rose from nearly 70%, 76% to over 88 Correct. above the national average. That's correct. What did you do to get to that point? Well, I think we've done a lot with our high schools um, to keep kids more engaged. I think the first thing I think that we did, which was to raise the expectations around high school, um, we absolutely got rid of all courses that were below grade level. Uh, we had an advanced placement initiative, which which expanded the opportunities for kids to take advanced placement. We instituted dual credit, dual enrollment, so now kids can get college credit. Um, we started our early college high schools. So those are high schools that children, when they graduate, will graduate not only with a high school diploma, but with an um, AA degree. So they've, got, they've already got the two years of college ahead of them. 
Um, we also revamped our whole diploma options. So now children can get not only a uh, di uh, diploma, but also get an endorsement, either a distinguished endorsement or an academic endorsement or a CTE endorsement. And so we've made them more marketable. And I really think our dropout rate's the lowest it's ever been as well. And CTE is? I'm sorry, our career technical education programs. Mm, okay. Um, in terms of the pandemic, graduation mm. requirements were relaxed. Mm -hmm. They were. The rate improved. How do you see that? Well, I think we're going to know the, um, the impact of that with this year's graduation, because, which won't, we won't have until you know later in the year. Um, because this is the year after 20 when the world shut down and everything was, we didn't even do a statewide assessments that year. 21, we were coming out of the pandemic and we waived the passing requirement on it for graduation. But this year we did not. So this year now all of our intercourse assessments are required and passing them are required. So I think when you see the 22 graduation rate, you will probably then see what impact then did COVID have on, uh, on, on our graduation rate. But I don't expect that to be a long-term impact. I think when our 21 results came out, we were, um, our ELA, our English language arts uh, proficiency rates only dropped by about six and a half percent. Well, some of the others, some of the other states in the nation, they fell off the cliff. And I really attribute that to the groundwork that we have laid with literacy and the hard work of our teachers with literacy. Because now when we're looking at our 22 data and the preliminary results are in, they're really, they're really good. And we're pleased. Like our third grade um, pass rate we knew that children had to know that in order to be promoted. Our pass rate for first-time test takers in 2022 was almost identical to 2019, which was pre-pandemic. That's significant that you've got the same pass rate after going through the pandemic in third grade and those little ones having to have had their interruption, you know, with their education. So I think the state's, I think the state's in, in a good place. And um, I, I really credit the work of the department, there's no doubt, uh, and all the resources and professional development. But I also give so much credit to our teachers and leaders who have really kept the focus on children and kept the focus on making sure that their learning continued. After you came here in 2014, you mm -hmm. had to institute Common Core, which is a set of standards for education that was controversial. How did you attack that? Well, I had been involved actually with the development of that when I was in D.C. With, when I was the chief academic officer uh, when it first started. And for me, I couldn't figure out what the controversy was about because all it is is about what you want children to be able to do. So you want them to add two-digit numbers, then that's one of the standards. You want them to be able to comprehend what they read, that's one of the standards. So I was struggling in, initially with, I'm not sure what people are upset about. So I thought, well, normally when we adopt standards, apparently in Mississippi before I got here, um, we put them out on, uh, for public comment for about 30 days. And I thought, let's do something different. Let's put them out for 90 days, but let's put them out in a way that if you want feedback, you've got to click on the standard, the individual standard by grade, and an, a box would open, and you could either give it a thumbs up, I like it, thumbs down, I don't. But if you said no, another box opened and said, why not? Or what do you want to do with it? And I said, and let's leave it up for 90 days. We advertised the daylights out of it. Um, at the end of 90 days, we had over 8,000 pieces of information come back, feedback. And 90%, 91% of it said, we love it just the way it is. 
the 9% that did not, there wasn't one person that said, do away with it. All of the feedback was rewrite it, move it to a different grade level, that kind of thing. So what I did was I took all that feedback, I pulled in a whole group of Mississippi teachers, and I said, here's that 9%, take a look at their feedback, and tell me what you want to do to change it. And so they took a look at it, edited what they wanted to edit, you know, kept what they wanted to keep. And then at the end, we adopted the Mississippi College and Career Ready Standards. So I thought that's the only way then that we could have, we had business people, parents, teachers, administrators, some students. We had all this feedback from around the state. And I thought it's time to move on. We adopted the standards, the board adopted the standards, and we've just moved on. In part two of our conversation with Carrie Wright. I thought about that. I was a teacher. Even if I was trained on using a gun, would I be able to shoot one of my own students? And so I don't know that more guns is the issue, uh, the solution. I, I don't know that that's a solution. That's tomorrow. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.